Father, we bow in thy presence again. We thank thee for this hour of grace extended to us, Lord, unworthy as we are, once more to declare thy word. Thou knowest every heart, every soul in this gathering tonight and abroad, wherever they may be, watching or listening. O God, we pray for the Holy Spirit to have his way and do his work. We invite thee, O God, to speak and to work even tonight. Amen. Turn to Psalm 80, please. And open your Bibles there and keep them open. Psalm 80. It was around these days in early November 1904, 118 years ago, that a 26-year-old ex-coal miner and ex-blacksmith was studying for the ministry in a theological college in North Wales. His name was Evan Roberts. Suddenly one day during his studies, the Lord broke into his life. Whether it was with a word or a vision or a trance, I am not sure. But he so powerfully told that young man to leave immediately the college and return home to South Wales and Lahore and to tell his family and the young people in the church where he went to that a mighty revival was going to sweep through the Principality of Wales and a hundred thousand souls would be swept into the kingdom. He bid goodbye immediately to the college and he took a, took a train to his island house. It was called Island House on the banks of the River Lacher. There he told his mother and his father and his older brother Dan, prepare and get ready for a spiritual invasion is coming to Wales. For the same reason we are gathered in this integrated college tonight, this November night, because some of us believe and have for years, and some of us have powerful words from the Lord God Almighty,
that he's going to do what he did in Wales and thousands of other places. He's going to do it again. Always when the church is at a low ebb, always since Pentecost, when the church in different places were struggling to survive with immorality and wickedness and evil from without and within the church, God seemed to breathe and revive and keep the church going as he promised he would do that he would build his church. I have studied over a hundred revivals in the last century and every one of them had to be prepared for. Although people didn't know really what they were doing or what was going to happen. But there were groups and there were pockets of people here and there, usually in small numbers, most times outside the ordinary church setting, where people prayed and fasted and believed and waited on God, just as we have been doing for 34 years in the lifeboat, and especially persistently these last number of years, praying that God would keep his promise and obey, and that we would obey and wait for the times of refreshing that's surely going to come from heaven amongst us. Now in the word of God there are three main symbols of and metaphors and images of revival. And they're very simple and they're everyday things. And the first one is the wind, the spiritual wind. In the Hebrew, the wind, the breath of God is called the Ruach of God. The Ruach of God. Revival is God breathing. Breathing on the dying embers of a church, of a nation, and of a province. The breath of God, the same breath that breathed and brought us to life from the dust. What we can do while we can't breathe the breath of God, but what we can do and what we must do we must hoist the sails and set the sails and get ready for the wind whenever it blows. The wind of God in revival is sovereign. God is a sovereign God. He orders it. He dictates it. The timing and the ending and everything is within his gift. So we must get ready, first of all, to set the sails for the wind. And that's what we're doing. We're getting ready for the wind of revival that's going to sweep through all of Ireland. The second metaphor and simile and symbol is this. It's rain. I tell you, these are everyday things. Showers and floods on a thirsty land. We sing that. Oh, for the floods on a thirsty land. Oh, for a mighty revival. Oh, for a sanctified, fearless band ready to heal its arrival. I believe that we have a sanctified band of men and women in the lifeboat and in many other places up and down our land who believe that apart from revival, we are done. Sanctified, fearless band ready to hear, heal the arrival. When the land is dried and parched, when the seed is dying in the clod, when the children are coming, the word of God says, with their pictures from the whales, weeping and crying because the whales is empty. When everything's barren and dry around us, 
God can come with the early rain and with the latter rain, as he has said in the word of God, and saturate the land with rain. There are times of refreshing. That's what they are, times of refreshing. And my God, how we need them, how we need refreshing, how we need the rain and the wind to blow through our churches and our denominations in these last and dark days. Soon maybe we'll be able to sing, like Elijah said, there's a sound Say, there's a sound of an abundance of rain. So the first simile and metaphor is wind. The second one is floods. And the third one is fire. Wind, floods, and fire, right through the word of God, symbols revival. Now, while we can do nothing to strike the match, while we can do nothing to set the fire started, we can prepare. And prepare we will do. We prepare the wood for the fuel. We prepare that by claiming the promises. We declare that by praying and by fasting and by waiting because God's sovereign and yet we have a responsibility. And the responsibility is with the people of God to rise up to the hour and awake, awake and cry to him and plead to him that he would come again. Erwin Lutzer, who... Uh, entitled the book on the Saskatoon Revival in Canada in 1973, entitled it Flames of Freedom. And my friend, when the fire comes, it will burn off every dross and sin and let the light and glory in. It will burn off all the shackles and all the things that hinder and all the evil will be brought out into the open when the fire of God comes. William Booth penned that great hymn, Thou Christ of burning cleansing flame, send the fire. Tis the fire we need, for the fire we plead, for the fire will meet our every need. Alec T. pens that hymn that we sing so often in the lifeboat, Let the fire fall, let the fire fall. I tell you, you don't have to advertise a fire. When God begins to move in fire, fire is very attractive. I tell you, when God begins to move amongst the people of God and the wind of the rug blows and the fire falls, my friend, and the, and, 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 the, and the rain comes and the floods come, men and women round Dungannon, right round the Tyrone, will take notice that something's going on, something's happening. They'll be fascinated with what God is doing, fascinated with the church. They're not fascinated with the church, none of our churches. They're not fascinated, they don't want to go near the church. But we need a breath of God, and we need the revival of the Holy Ghost to come upon us. So what we can do is we set the sails. We stand on the deck and we hoist the sails, and we get ready believing that God is going to come. We dig up the fallow ground, and we, and we wait and stoke the fire, and wait for God to blow upon us. The prophet Isaiah said, look down in chapter 52. He says, look down from heaven, from the habitation of thy holiness and of thy power. And then in 63, the next chapter, he says, come down and then flow down and then melt down that the mountains might move at the presence of God. These are all my fellow metaphors of revival blessing when God comes and God moves. My heart is full tonight because I believe with all my soul, I live for it every day, that God's going to sweep from Bangor to Bantry Bay across the island of Ireland with a Holy Ghost mighty revival and very soon. Do you believe that tonight? If you believe that tonight, 
Many of God's people don't believe that tonight. But if you would really believe that tonight, you'll have to believe it because there's no other hope, my friend. There's no other way. The words of Leonard Ravenhill comes in handy now just at this moment when he speaks about revival. He says revival cannot be organized. We can organize missions. We can organize conferences. We can organize the meeting like this. But revival cannot be organized. Revival cannot be subsidized. We don't need, no need any men's money to subsidize when God begins to move. It cannot be organized. It cannot be subsidized. It cannot be advertised. It will not need to be advertised. It can't be computerized. It can't be denominationalized. And it can't be monopolized. It's from God from beginning to end. Evangelism is man's work. Revival is God's work. And it's God's way of dealing and moving upon the church. There are some people, and I would say most of you tonight, or you wouldn't be here, you're concerned about revival. There are other people then have a burden for revival. But there's another set of people, and they're heartbroken for revival. And when we get people heartbroken for revival, then we are on good ground, desperately hungering and crying and thirsting for something more in our lives, something more in our church, something more in our land. The politicians are not answering it. Stormont can't answer it. Westminster can't answer it. House of Commons can't answer it. A house of Windsor can't answer it. We need, we need a fresh invasion of the Holy Spirit of God, which is, is possible to have and we can have and He has promised we will have. We'll have it. There's no alternative. There's no alternative, my friend. It's imperative. It's mandatory. It's obligatory that we must have something new soon from heaven. Now, Psalm 80 has 19 verses in it. Three of these verses are exactly the same. And you don't tell me tonight that God is not speaking. Any of you were in the lifeboat sermon, lifeboat service this morning. You pick your ears and take heed. Because I had this message long prepared before this morning. And I never consulted with Stephen what he was preaching on. But there's 19 verses in Psalm 80, and three of these verses are exactly the same. If you have a Bible, you just glance at them now. I'm not going to preach long. If you have a Bible, you just glance at them. Verse 3. Verse 3. Turn us again, O God, and cause thy face to shine, that we shall be saved. Verse 7. Turn us again, O God of hosts, and cause thy face to shine, that we shall be saved. Verse 19. Turn us again, O Lord God of hosts, cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. Now, my dear friends, whenever the Holy Spirit, in a scripture that you could read in three minutes, whenever the Holy Spirit jags three things, the same three things, then we need to take notice. And especially if you heard the message this morning, you would need to take double notice today, tonight. Turn ye, turn ye, 
Turn ye, you heard it from the pulpit this morning. I fear tonight, and I fear tonight, there's someone in this meeting that was in the lifeboat this morning, or listened to it or watched it. I fear tonight that you might never get another chance to turn after the night. It's time you turned. This may be your last opportunity. You don't play and fiddle about with the Holy Ghost. When the Holy Ghost says something three times that you could read in three minutes in 19 verses, turn ye, turn ye, turn ye, then you would need to be thinking about turning and you would need to do more than thinking about turning. Turn us, he says, and cause thy face to shine upon us. Us, he's including himself. Revival is for the saints. It's for the church. It's for you and I that are believers in Christ. You can't revive something that's dead. You can't blow on numbers that are not some sort of life about them. You can't revive a dead man. That man needs resurrection. If you're not saved tonight, we can't revive you. You need resurrection life. You need life in Jesus Christ. You need to be born again by the Spirit of God. But if you're a Christian tonight and you're low and weak and tired and weary and you're not praying and you're not reading and you're not enjoying the Lord, then you need revival in your soul. You need revival in your soul. Because if you get a breath of God, it'll take that breath, my friend, to get you back going again and enjoying the Lord. There's so many Christians today and they're not enjoying the Lord. Are you enjoying the Lord tonight? Or is there something in your life that you would need to turn from and you need to face God and you need to be honest before God and say, Lord, revive me. He's not praying. He's just saying, Lord, revive me. Revive us. He's including himself. You see, we have turned so many of us away from God and we need to turn back. Now listen. The psalmist is not pleading and crying here to turn his personal circumstances. And I feel that there's some in this meeting tonight and listening to me and watching me would be wanting God to turn your personal circumstances. If you know and study this psalm, you'll know that the psalmist had plenty of personal circumstances that he needed changed, but that's not what he's crying for. Maybe you say tonight, Lord, change the circumstances, turn the circumstances in my family, turn them in my marriage, turn them in my health, in my job. Oh, God, turn, change the situation that I am faced with every day. Please change. He's not calling for personal circumstances to be changed. He's not calling for political circumstances to be changed or national circumstances to be changed. He's not calling on the politicians to change or the prime minister to change or protocol to change. He's he's saying, change me. Nor is he praying for a financial change. Oh, God, change my circumstances, this recession this austerity. Nolan tells us that we're going to all freeze to death in the streets and we're going to die with famine before Christmas. 
Oh, I say to you, I'm glad I'm not a scam, been scaremongered by that boy or anybody else. I have a God in heaven. He'll provide my need. And he'll provide your need too. No, he's not praying for financial changes. He's not praying for political changes. He's not praying for any change. He's not praying for moral changes. No, we need to pray for moral changes. Oh, God of hosts, turn the abortionists. Turn the murderers. Turn the sex offenders. No, he says, turn us. Turn me. That's the whole key to revival. That's 2 Chronicles 7 and verse 14. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then, then, then will I hear from heaven. My friend, listen, not to then. Now sit close. Not to then. Father, not until you put things right with your wife and put things right with your family. Don't you be praying or talking about or thinking about revival then. Not to lend, sir, to you go back to your employer and give that money back that you stole. Not till you go back to that shop or wherever it may be. Don't you be praying and crying for revival if your hands are filthy. This is serious business that we're praying about. If you can't stand before the Lord in your own room and hold your hand up to God and say, Lord, is there anything betwixt thee and me? And if you keep there and keep asking and he starts to show you things, you need to turn around and get them right. Not to lend. Not, sir, to you stop your adultery. Not to you stop your fornication. Then. Then. If you're here tonight and you're not saved, you may have a lot of excuses as far as the Christians are concerned. And you know many of them I would plead guilty to. But if you're not saved tonight, don't you be getting your eyes on other Christ- on Christians around you. You lift your eyes onto the Lord and to the cross at Calvary where he hung naked for your sins and bled and died for your sins and for my sins. Don't let some old carnal, hypocritical, legalistic Christian put you off. My wife and I, Pat, went back to her hometown in Derrigan in 1987. Went there just a mile down the road from where she lived and the two or three from where I lived. And we erected a portable hall and we went round all our neighbours. All the places we, my father and I used to draw the milk up lanes and fields. All round that part of West Fermanagh. And we were going out to visit, we were visiting one day and we drove round the back of the town of Derrigonley the back of the barn store where I used to drink night after night. We're coming around the back of the barn store and I seen this man getting into a car. I says, that's George. He's coming out in the middle of the day, half drunk. I never knew, I hardly ever knew him when he was sober. I knew him all my days. 
lived beside him. And I says, this is an opportunity for George. And he got in and he drove that car. And I don't know how he got home in the middle of the day, I'm telling you about. And he drove in the lane where he lived and we followed him in. And he got out of the car half staggering. He says, I says, you don't know me. No, he says, I don't. I says, I'm Bertie Johnson. And then he went into a rigmarole about my father and about me and about the wild boy I was and all that. I said, George, George, we're having a mission down there in Glen Levin. And I want you to come to it. And then he started to reel off men round Fermanagh, round that part of the Fermanagh that were Christians. And you know, nearly everything he said was right. He mentioned one man. He says, is he going? I says, I don't know, but if he's going, I'll not be going. He says, does such and such go to the meetings? I says, he might. He says, well, I'll not be going. And then someone else, does he not be going? And then I said to him, well, you know, there are good men going too. I says, would you have anything against Fred Harris? Is Fred Harris going? I says he is. Well, he says, if Fred Harris is going, I'll go. Oh, I tell you, Fred Harris had some testimony. There's no tinkering and fooling about with him. There's no double dealing with him. There's no falsifying the uh, farm accounts with him. I tell you, a godly man was Fred man whom I preached with and loved with all my heart. And he went into another stammer there, and here's what he said to me, standing on the middle of the lane, and he was as dirty and filthy. He says, I just don't care. Nobody cares about me, he says, anyway. He says, I'll drop dead in the lane someday, and that'll be the end, and it'll be all over. I says, George, it'll not. A year and a half later, George was got dead in the very spot in the lane just on the very spot, on the lane, where he said that. You see, he got an opportunity to turn, and he didn't turn. You're getting this opportunity tonight to turn. You got it again this morning. Are you going to turn? Now you, I don't know what you need to turn from. You know. I'm not God. You know what you need to turn from something in the family, something in your, you need to turn. Because listen, not only will this may be the last time that you'll hear the word turn, not only that, but you'll hinder the blessing. You'll hinder the revival. The Holy Ghost is very sensitive. And the least thing, he'll flutter away. And if you're in a prayer meeting and you're around the Lord's table and they're not right with your home, with your family, in your business and all, you stay away from it, or you'll be put away from it. This is serious business, these revival meetings. The word turn is the same word as the word repentance. It's an about turn. Somebody said it's going in reverse. It's not going in reverse. It's turning round completely and facing God. You heard this quoted this morning from Ezekiel. I had this pen long before that man got up this morning. Turn ye, turn ye, why will ye die? 
when God in fierce judgment is drawn so nigh. Turn from your lust. Turn from your pride. Turn from your lies. Turn from your drink. Turn from your drug. Turn, turn, and flee to the outreached arms of the Savior and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I failed, and I'm coming home. He will turn. If you turn, He, his face will shine upon you. Jeremiah 3 and 14 says this as I come to a close. I'm speaking to the backsliders. I said to a man the other day, come to see me, he says, you a backslider? Oh, I'm not a backslider. No, no. And I'll tell you, I'll say nothing more. You see, if I were to say to some of you today, you a backslider, oh no, I, I'm not a backslider. I, I go to church and I say me prayers and I, I'm, I'm not a backslider. We have an awful wrong conception of backsliders in Northern Ireland. You don't have to be at the pub. You don't have to be at the drugs. You don't have to be at the rascality to be a backslider, my friend. You're backslidden if you haven't been alone with the Lord today. You are. We are. Here's what he says about the backslider. Turn, O backslider. Turn, O backsliding children, says the Lord, for I have married, I am married unto thee, and I will bring you to Zion. I am married to the backslider. I tell you, he, you may have abandoned him, but he'll never, never abandon you. Do you hear that? If you're away from God tonight now and you're backslidden, you need to turn. Turn back into the family altar. Turn back in repentance. Turn back into the meetings. Turn back into serving God. Don't go any longer down that road. It's a dangerous, dangerous road. Oh, how he loves the backslider. So you have the people in the text. You have the plea in the text. Here's what he pleaded. Listen, oh God, turn us again. Turn us again, we beseech thee. Look down from heaven, we beseech thee. Look at the vine. He's talking about Israel. If you read the rest of these verses, look at the nation. Look at the vine. Oh, he says the hedges are broken down and wild boars have, have run in across the land. The gates are burned with fire. The church lies, lies in ruins. Oh, God, turn us. My friend, if, if we as Christians tonight don't see the need in our churches, if we don't see our need in our land, if we don't see it, then we're, there's something terribly wrong with us. If we don't see that there's no hope and there's no help for the young children and the people in our land unless God moves in the church, there's no answer to it. And the answer is with us, with you, with me, who profess to be saved. You see the plea and the people, but you see the past. He says, turn us again. Do it again. I wonder what the psalmist was thinking. I'm thinking he's going to way back to the days of Moses. 
the way back to Hezekiah and Nehemiah and Josiah, when God moved and God breathed, he's saying, do it again, do it again, do it again. He has done it before and he can do it again. That's what I pray every day of my life. Lord, do it again. Do what you've done in Wales. Do what you've done in Kells. Do what you've done in, in Shots and Kilsyth. Do what you did in Uzi Street in America. Do what you did in the Moravians and the Aborigines and the Zulus when you moved upon people, thousands of them that couldn't read nor write when you moved by thy spirit. Thousands of other times across our land, God moved by his Holy Spirit. Do it again. That's what he's saying. What a plea from the heart of this man. Do it again. Lord, wilt thou not, he says in another psalm, wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Oh, what joy it will bring. What joy it will bring to the church and to the assemblies of God's people when we see things beginning to happen, when we see drunkards getting saved, when we see children getting saved, when we see men and women turning to God. Oh, what a joy, what a joy it will bring. There's not many joyful people, I said again, I'm so sad to say. How do we can how do we maintain how do you maintain your joy as a Christian? I'll tell you how you maintain your joy as a Christian. Have you ever had that joy? By abiding in him, by believing him, and by obeying him. So we have one more point and I'm finished. The psalmist speaking about the people of God. Nobody else. Lord, turn us and turn me. And then there was the plea. And then there's the past. He's done it before. Do it again. And lastly, there's the promise. And we shall be saved. Come on now, sinner, as I close, if you're not saved, admit it. I wonder, is there someone here tonight not saved? And I wonder how many is here tonight in a backslidden state. I wonder how many here has no real desire to go on or go through with God. They're so busy with their business, so busy with their families, and all these things are legitimate. But, oh, my friends, listen. Unless there's a heartfelt, desperate cry to see the need. To see the need. To see the need in our land. Need in our families. Sinner will be saved. That's what he said. That's what the land, the text says. And we shall be saved. Boy, praise God tonight. Whosoever calleth on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Call unto him where you sit. Come into the room there, the staff room afterwards, and we'll bring you, we'll show you how to get to the Lord. Come to the Lord. Backslider, don't go home tonight. Don't go home until you're restored. If you need help, we'll help you all we can. Christian, turn tonight. Turn away tonight. Confess your sins tonight, repent of your sins tonight, and get right with God, and ask God and say, Lord, we don't be holding these meetings. We didn't get the school, and so graciously they give us the school, and do every time we had it. 
No, we didn't get to school just to play games or to have meetings or singing meetings. And thank God for Catherine and, and, and Ruth and thank God for the preaching of the word. But that's not why we're here. We're here to prepare for the revival that's coming and we have to prepare as individuals. The only thing that's going to save our land, the promise is that he'll save us. And it'll not be the protocol that will save us. And it'll not be the British government or the Irish Parliament will save us. It'll not be meetings that will save us. It'll be a divine intervention from heaven. It will be the outpouring of the Spirit of God upon a community, upon a district, upon an area that starts with the individual. Oh, may God turn us and we shall be turned. I tell you that word, turn, must be ringing in some of your ears right now that heard the message this morning. Wasn't one bit of collusion. Wasn't one word spoken before Alan's, before Stephen's meeting or after it, either about it. And all I can say is, there's a turning needed tonight before we go any further. Before we come back to the prayer meeting on Monday night, before we come, before we come back here next Sunday night, there needs to be a turning. Or these meetings will dry up. They'll dry up. And we just have more meetings, more meetings, more meetings. God is the God of revival. He says, I will pour waters on him that is thirsty. I will come down like the dew upon the mowing grass. Call unto me and I will answer thee. Ask and it shall be given. Seek and ye shall find. Knock. We're knocking, Lord. And it shall be opened unto you. If a child asked his father for bread, would he give him a stone? Now would you if it was a starving child, would you? If a child was to ask his father for bread, Jesus said, would I give him a stone? If he asked me for a fish, would I give him a serpent? If I asked for an egg, would I give him a scorpion to sting him? And to kill him a million times, no. How much more, he says, will your heavenly Father not give the Holy Spirit unto them that ask him? Tell me, are you filled with the Holy Spirit tonight, Christian? You just saved and that's it. 
You've never went on. You've never went through. You've never stayed before God until you were cleansed. You never stayed before God until you found out his will. Oh, may God help us tonight. I'm pleading tonight. I'm pleading tonight. I'm an old man now, 76, 7 years of age coming. My day will soon be over. I might never see the revival that's coming, but some of you young people will see it. And we're harbingers to it. We're setting the sails. We're digging up the old fallow hard ground. And we're gathering the wood for the fire. And we're pleading pleading for our land and for our people and for our children. Oh God, pour out your Spirit upon us once more in this dear land for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's pray. We're not going to sing and we're not going to leave rowdily. Those of you who want to sit on be quiet if you want to sit on and talk. Those who leave, leave quietly, please. And if anybody wants to speak to us, we're here tonight for the sinner, for the backslider, for the child of God that wants help. Whatever that might be, don't, don't have God to turn you. Don't have God to turn you, for that will be very, very serious. Father, we want to thank you tonight for so confirming this message that has burnt in our heart for many days. We thank you, Lord, tonight for your faithfulness to men and women. Give them opportunity after opportunity to turn back to Calvary and back to the cross. Back to the old rugged cross where Jesus died. Oh God, we thank thee for your mercy. Let us not spurn your mercy tonight. Let us, Lord, turn round and flee quickly as the prodigal did. Let us flee to the Father's house. With arms wide open, thou wilt receive whoever comes tonight with a heart that is desperate for God. So, Father, we thank you tonight and we pray as this message goes abroad, Lord, that many, many, many will turn to the Lord and prayer meetings will start and people will get serious once more about God and the things of God. We pray that you'll bless those and part those, all of who go eventually from this house. Keep them safe from the roads when they drive and keep us in a close walk with thee, O God. And wait for the showers that are coming, maybe tonight, from heaven. Amen.